Satan tricked Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit of the tree of good and evil. Adam and Eve disobeyed and disregarded God's words of not to eat of the tree. And through Adam's disobedience, sin, suffering, and death entered into this world. That was the fall of man. That was the fall of humanity. Uh, scripture says in Genesis, uh, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, For all in Adam died. And because of Adam's sin, every human being is born with a sinful nature. Every human being is born with a heart that naturally rebel against God. People are spiritually bent toward sin instead of holiness. Regarding Adam and Eve's sin, God promised to rectify the damaging effects of the fall of man by sending someone who was to be the second Adam and to destroy the works of Satan. He made that promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God said to Satan, who was in the form of a serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That seed was a prophecy of the coming Messiah the coming king, the suffering servant, the son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. Throughout scripture, God the Father has repeatedly promised to send his son. He has made this promise speaking to Moses, saying, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak all that I command him. He has made this promise to David, that he will send his son to sit upon David's throne forever. He said to David, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Even in Psalms chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. David prophesied through the Holy, upon the influence of the Holy Spirit, saying, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. Those promises came true. 
And the last person to hear an announcement of that promise was a young girl named Mary. She was the one to hear the announcement of the coming Messiah. She was a participant and bearer of this announcement. Luke tells us of this promised announcement in his gospel. The story begins in verse 26. I'm going to read from the ESV translation. Please follow along your Bible. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to a man whose name, sorry, <laughs> to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorite one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. As I was reading this passage, this passage throughout this week, I found several key themes that are important to acknowledge. One, the fulfillment of God's promises. As you can see behind me, today's sermon message is titled, The Promised Announcement. Because God is bound to fulfill the promises that he has made. He cannot go against his word. As I just explained, God promised to send his son before the beginning of time. Jesus was always Always the begotten Son of God. Period. In the mind of God, before the foundations of the world, God predestined his, to send His Son, Jesus, to this earth. The fulfillment of God's promise is the overarching theme of Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. In fact, Jesus illustrates how God has fulfilled his promises. In the last chapter of Luke, uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus explained to his disciples that he fulfilled Old Testament scripture. After the, his resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That is, he interpreted to them 
what Scripture said about him. The Old Testament speaks of Christ's incarnation, meaning that he was going to be incarnated in human flesh. It speaks about Christ's obedient life. It speaks about the purpose of Christ suffering upon a cross. His death and resurrection and his ascension to heaven. Therefore, Jesus was willing to be sent on this earth to be born as a human. Once we look, one, if you look at verse 26 in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 1, Luke gives us a timeline and location of which Jesus was to be conceived. He writes, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I just mentioned to you how God must fulfill his promises. And one of those promises that he fulfilled was to send the Messiah's forerunner, John the Baptist. John was to prepare the hearts of the people so that they may turn to the Lord. We see that in verse 17. Therefore, God sent the angel Gabriel to Zechariah, the priest, telling him that he and his wife, Elizabeth, was going to bear a son. They were, were to bear to conceive in their old age. They were to bear the Lord's forerunner. Zechariah and Elizabeth were probably in their early 70s or late 70s, early 80s, when they received the news that they were going to conceive. And also, Elizabeth was barren. But despite all odds, they were to birth a child. Beyond any measure, it was a miracle for them to birth a child at their age. It was something that cannot be explained scientifically. In their younger life, they pray for a child, preferably a son, to carry on the heir of their estates. And God used that prayer to kill two birds with one stone. He gave them a child and fulfilled his promise of sending Elijah. And he did, as you can read in verse 17. Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for a child, and God delivered on their prayer. It's like, uh, like the songwriter says, Diedrich Haddon. He said, God is able to do just what he said he would do. He's going to fulfill his promises to you. Don't give up on God, because he won't give up on you. And the last part of that song is, he's able. Come on, people. <laughs> he's able. Okay, thank you. Mr. Wells is with me. 
He is able. He fulfilled his promise in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you read verse 24, it says, Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. So Luke writes, in the sixth month, the sixth month simply indicates the beginning of Jesus' birth and the length of months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. This means John was six months, um, six, yeah, six months older than Christ. They were cousins. So Gabriel, so God sent Gabriel to Nazareth a month later on the sixth month to a virgin named Mary. Uh, we all discovered that Gabriel's ministry was to deliver messages to deliver divine messages to people. Gabriel was like God's news anchor. This isn't Gabriel's first rodeo show. He delivered a message to Daniel concerning the nation of Israel. He uh, delivered a message to Zechariah, the priest, concerning John the Baptist. And now he is going to deliver a message to a very young girl a virgin girl who lived in Nazareth, that the Son of God was coming. Now, Nazareth was, as, uh, Nazareth was not a city or a town. It was a small village. It was removed from the Jewish culture, probably 75 miles away from the capital city of Jerusalem. It, is, it was better known as Galilee than Nazareth. Because you have to keep in mind, since Luke was writing to a Gentile, Gentile readers, they would have quickly realized the city of Galilee than Nazareth. And my phone just went off. Plus... Galilee was called the nation of Gentiles since Israel was under Roman occupation. This is a beautiful imagery. Galilee was a place where Jesus started his ministry. And that small village, a very obscure place, represented salvation for Jews and Gentiles. In the words of Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it says, Is it too light a thing that you should be a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserve of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of of the earth. This is a beautiful imagery because salvation started in a mundane village called Nazareth. And it was known as Galilee. And that mundane village where Jesus started his ministry, 
Salvation was brought forth to everybody's home, including yours and mine's. And also the world. How marvelous is that? Of a small city being the beacon of light, the place where the Messiah was conceived. When God sent Gabriel, he sent him to a virgin, as the text says, a virgin who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. God sent Gabriel to one person, Mary. The Virgin Mary was betrothed to Joseph. I know the uh, New American Standard Bible used the word engaged to a man named Joseph, and also the NIV translation says that the Virgin Mary was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. But the words engage and pledge really don't do the text justice because engagements and pledges can be broken. Mary and Joseph were legally married. They were bound. It was a legal binding contract that would have been considered, I mean, uh, that is, their families arranged the marriage for Mary without Mary's uh, permission. And if Joseph died, Mary would have been considered as a widow. Arranged marriages still happen today. In many cultures, sometimes I think we all should practice arranged marriages. That way, especially for our kids, look at Miss Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> especially for our kids. That way we can dictate who they date. <laughs> this will make it easier for both parents and grandparents. Unfortunately, we do not practice arranged marriage. Isn't that right, Tylen? <laughs> In our culture... Well, this is exactly what Mary's parents did for her. Without Mary's consent, her consent wasn't needed. The legal age for a Jewish girl to be betrothed was as young as 12. And she would have been considered as a person coming of age. And the reason I say that is because 12, you hit puberty. And within the Jewish culture, they have a uh, bar mitzvah for boys where they will be considered of coming to age, knowing the law, and a bat mitzvah for girls. We consider teenagers... In our culture, legal adults at the age of 18. Nonetheless, Mary was married to Joseph. He was probably in his late teens, early 20s. 
In Matthew chapter 1, they describe, Matthew describes uh, Joseph as a man. So the groom's family would have paid a diary for the bride's family, to the bride's family. Now, what is a diary? A diary is a price for the groom to pay to marry the bride. Many of us think paying diaries may be repressive towards women or demeaning towards women. But if, if it's done correctly, it's actually a beautiful imagery. And this is what I mean. Christ paid for us. Christ paid a diary for us. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So nevertheless, Joseph paid a diary for Mary. They were wedded, and they did not have any sexual relations until a year after, or the consummation of the marriage was a year after. But the diary says something. It says a lot. Like men, what if you have to pay something or pay a diary to your son's soon-to-be bride's family? No responses to that? (laughs) It says that Joseph loved Mary, that he would give all that he had for the sake of marrying Mary. That is why it's a beautiful imagery. Because Christ gave all that he have for the sake of his bride, the church. He died for his bride. So normally, the groom would take a year to prepare a house for his bride and they would consummate the marriage. And the only way to break the marriage was divorce. In Luke chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Joseph was the house of David. This means that Joseph was a descendant of David, so was Mary. Here is Joseph, a young man who was not aware that God was using him in a divine plan, in a divine way. Joseph was unaware that God was going to allow him to be the stepfather of his son, Jesus, of God's son. He was the foster parent of Jesus. And the scripture describes Joseph as a just 
men according to the Bible standards. God promised beforehand that the Messiah was going to be of the line of David or a descendant of David. He knew that Joseph was a descendant of David beforehand. Ponder and think about that for a second. When God made a promise to David that someone would sit upon his throne forever, he had Joseph in mind. Joseph was of royal blood running through his veins. And since God made that promise to David, he knew Joseph was not only a just man, but he was willing to accept Jesus as a stepson or adopted son. This made Jesus the legal heir of David. And Mary, since Jesus was born of Mary, so not only Jesus was the legal heir of David's throne, but also he has David's blood running through his vein. But let's pause there for a second, because we're going to develop that thought a little bit further. Look at uh, verses 28 and 29. It says, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and says, said, greetings, O favorite one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the thing and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. This is a very interesting encounter, encounter with, uh, between Gabriel and Mary. Do you remember the story of of how Gabriel appeared to Zechariah on the right side of the altar. He said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah. See, Zechariah was terrified at the sight of Gabriel. He was standing on the right side of the altar, and this older man was afraid. Fear gripped his heart. But in verse 28, he doesn't greet Mary by saying, do not be afraid. He simply said, hello. Hello, Mary. And she was afraid. I'm sure she was in the sight of Gabriel's presence. And she was puzzled. She did not know why Gabriel appeared to her. She was confused. You know, as I was going through this passage, I was just thinking, where was Mary when Gabriel appeared to her? Was she walking on the beaten path in Nazareth, heading to her cousin's home, Elizabeth? But I came to the conclusion that she was at home. Gabriel appeared to her at her home. And like all Jewish, and well, like all teenagers in a Jewish, conservative Jewish culture, teenagers would have been at home, away from the gazing eyes of men, as one commentator puts it. 
Now, you may be saying, well, what is the point of this, right? Why is this important to know? Well, how would you feel if a stranger fall, uh, showed up in your home unannounced? Would you not be startled? Would you not be afraid? Would you not be taken back? Whatever Mary was doing at the time, Gabriel appeared to her and said simply, Hello. That's simple. Greetings. And Mary received him politely, although confused. You know, Scripture says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels. So Gabriel said, Greetings, O favorite one. And the NIV translation says, Greetings who are who are highly highly favored. Highly favored. It's a very expressive way to describe Mary. As my brother Melvin says, the NIV has a dynamic way of expressing scripture. You know, Roman Catholics say the Mary uh, say the say prayers to Mary. Uh, they say, "Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit." Of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at our hour of death. Amen. Uh, Roman Catholics believe that Mary was a dispenser of grace, that she was a giver of grace. They have given Mary the title of co-redemptress. And what is code redemptress? It is taking, she's a partaker in man's redemption, simply put it. That's, that she has the ability to save men from their sins, since she was the biological mother of Jesus. This is why they believe Mary was full of grace. But the word favor here doesn't mean that she was filled with grace. It means that God bestowed grace upon her. He is the giver of grace. He is the one who has blessed Mary to be the mother of Jesus, his son. This is how God responds to all people who have faith in him. This is how he shows favor to undeserving sinners. Whenever God shows favor upon a person's life, it, is, it has nothing to do with the individual. It is, it is, it is even, it is not even up, it is not even up to the individual per se. It is up to the grace of God when someone asks for salvation. This is why Paul said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So God give us grace. And in turn, we have faith, giving us the ability to have faith in him. It starts with God, and through our faith, we believe. This applies to Mary. She couldn't boast to anyone that God favored her among many other women. She, too, needed a Savior. In verse 46, if you look over there, it says, Mary said of herself, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. There is nothing special about Mary, other than the fact that she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus. She was chosen to bring forth God's son. Now, I have to admit, I'm not trying to degrade Mary's place, because that is a special task, especially since she was a very young girl. And this is why Elizabeth said in verse 42, Blessed are you among women. So, however, she was, she was blessed, not because of who she was, but because of who she was to bear. She was an instrument in God's hands. One pastor said, the issue here is not Mary's worthiness. The issue here is God's choice. The issue here is not Mary's merit. The issue here is God's sovereignty. As the conversation went on between Gabriel and Mary in verses 30 and 31, Gabriel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Let's pause here for a second and imagine to hearing news of a young girl receiving, going to conceive a child to bear a son of, of even, not even knowing a man. The thought is very perplexing. I am even confused. And so was Mary. He said, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Here is a young girl at home alone receiving a news, receiving the news that she was going to give birth. She being a virgin. Now, I believe she knew that the coming Messiah was to come. I believe that she read the Old Testament. 
I'm sure she was aware of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. But what I also believe is that she would never thought that she was going to be the virgin. Probably never crossed her mind. So instinctively, when Gabriel gave her the news of the common Messiah, that she was going to be the virgin, I'm sure she thought about Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You know, the uh, development of a baby inside a woman's womb is very fascinating. Um, it's by, this is me talking. It's, to me, is a very natural but foreign process. Um, I'm speaking from a male's perspective, so ladies, once I got this from this pulpit, don't beat me up. You know, even doctors themselves are trying to, they understand, they can explain the, uh, a woman's trimester and when a, a baby is developing inside a womb, in the womb of a woman. But at the same time, it will always remain a mystery. And overall, the entire process of a human being developing as a woman's womb is a mystery. It will always be a mystery to me. You know, I told Liz, me and Liz was talking, um, I think it was a couple weeks ago. And I told her that whenever it's time for Crystal and I to conceive and it's time for Crystal to uh, deliver the baby, I would not be down there watching I will be at Crystal's shoulder, encouraging her on. That's why I say it's natural, but in alien, like it's, it's, it's just it's otherly. <laughs> Another human being is coming into this world. I know whenever a child is developed, um, develop, uh, born, it's a joyful moment. And, and, that's, and that's why I say to myself, again, this is just me. Please don't beat me up. That's why I say to myself, I'm glad that I am, or let me put it this way, I am glad God designed me to be a man. Ladies, I commend it. I, I just, you have all my support. So you really do. Now, the story of the virgin birth is not crucial to know in order to receive salvation. However, is part of the Christian faith hinges on the virgin birth. For theological reasons, it is detrimental for us to understand 
the virgin birth so that we can comprehend the deity of Christ. The God-man. The word virgin is the Greek word parthenos. It, it means a person who is a virgin, obviously, but it also means that a person who had never had sexual relations. This word is never used for married women in Scripture. Now Luke mentions, uh, mentioned Mary's virginity two times, but why? Uh, ask me why. I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> Here's why. If Jesus would have been born in the natural way between Joseph and Mary, then he would never have been God. He would never have been sinless. He never would have been betrayed as the spotless lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Therefore, he would never have been God's son. This is why the text described Jesus as the son of the most high. When we look at verse 31, Luke writes, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Luke writes about the birth of Christ with straightforward words. It's so simple for everyone to understand. There's no lofty or mysterious words that Luke is communicating to us. In fact, he communicates with such simplicity that even teenagers and toddlers can understand how Christ was conceived. There is nothing man-made about this. There is no mentioning of the Holy Spirit having sexual relations with Mary. This passage is simple to read. However, it is packed with such profound theological truths that we would never under, truly understand how God was incarnated to be a man or how God incarnated himself inside Mary's womb. The only thing we have to do is just take Scripture as what it says. If we don't understand the mysterious or this, yeah, the mysterious uh, reality of a child being born in a woman's womb, how can we really understand Christ taking upon human flesh, the second person of the Trinity, being born or being conceived in Mary's womb? It's mysterious. That God became a man. That's why we portray Christ as the God's man. But I know one thing. Paul accepted this truth. Paul said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Even the Hebrew writer, uh, the writer of the Hebrew epistle understood this truth. He says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. Last time I told you all that God has divinely intervened in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. Here, he not only intervened in Mary's life, but in human history. Here is God stepping down off his throne, giving up his natural or godly attributes to become a human for the sake of humans. The God-man stepped into time and space to be born of a virgin. Moreover, here is another reason why I titled um, today's sermon title is The Promise Announcement. If you look at verse 33 very quickly, because I see everybody's just dozing off a little bit. People are preparing their tithes. I'm like, come on, Pastor Travis, hurry up. We're almost done. Look at verse 33. It says, And the Lord, starting in verse 32, He will be great, and He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to Him the throne of His father David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever of His kingdom, and there will be no You know, Scripture says in Acts chapter 2, one of Peter's first sermon concerning the Son of God, Peter said this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and buried, and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, to carry on the throne of David. So when God made the promise to David that someone would sit upon his throne forever and his throne would last forever, he fulfilled that promise. And how was he going to do that? Through his son, Jesus. When we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse, uh, verses 2 through 4, it speaks about the millennial kingdom of God. Turn there very quickly. It speaks about the millennial kingdom. It says, in verses 2 through 4, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain among I mean, any more, for the former things have passed away. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Behold a virgin. Behold a virgin. Uh, God will give it a sign, and behold a virgin. He shall, he's, his name shall be called Emmanuel. Um, do you know what Emmanuel means? God is with us. And Jesus and the name the meaning of Jesus' name is that Jehovah saves. So the very last verse that we're going to cover today, verse thirty three, gives us an idea that God will establish a kingdom with his people forever. He will be with them forever. He is Emmanuel. God is with us. He saves his people. So what, we can, what can we take away from this? There are several things that we can learn from the life of Mary and also from the promises of God. Going back to the Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, Eve was like a type of, in a way, I'll put it this way, Eve, where Eve disobeyed, Mary fulfilled. She was obedient. She fulfilled God's promise. Eve disobeyed God's word. And lastly, if you say, well, this is too lofty, I hope that's not your thinking, but if you say that, this is how you can apply it to your life. Trust in God's word. Trust in his promises. He has never failed, and he would never fail us as long as we believe in his word. Amen? Amen.